The most important thing for our kids is that they're allowed to feel all of the emotions and they don't have to hide any of them. We talk about kids needing to be their authentic selves and not having to choose between being their authentic self, whether that's angry or enraged or nervous um, versus having the love that they need. They shouldn't have to hide it. And so I guess the flip side is how you model that for them, that you're okay and you're a loved member of your family, whether you're feeling anxious or happy. Hello, and welcome to the Parenthood Pod, where our lives and stories aren't perfect, but very real. I'm your host, Leonia Kidanor, and every week I will bring you conversations that aim to smash the stigma on struggles we face as parents. Let's begin. Welcome to the show. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Leonie. It's great to be here. So great to have you on. So for those listening, I have Dr. Catherine with me today, um, medical practitioner. So that's uh, pretty legit if you ask me. (laughs) I have no medical knowledge whatsoever. So respect and hat goes off to you. Um, And the reason why we've got Catherine on is we actually had a caller call in uh, with a confession around anxiety um, that her child's experiencing. And so for that reason, um, Catherine sort of uh, was the perfect person I thought I'd chat this out with. Um, more specifically because she's created an app which firstly congratulations that is no easy feat Uh, um, an app called courageous kids and it is actually to help prepare children to face new experiences with confidence and so she's worked with occupational therapists and child psychologists to put this app together and really just help minimize anxiety that children face on the daily from the different activities that they come up with so first and foremost we're going to cut straight to that confession i desperately need advice My eight-year-old daughter's behaviour is completely out of control. She's always been a beautiful girl up until the last few months. She's had her moments like every child, but lately I just don't recognise her. Boundaries and discipline don't work. I'm not sure if she's experiencing a level of anxiety and playing up because her father and I separated recently. Her father has no rules or boundaries and gives her anything she wants. She never misbehaves for him. I've tried having special days with her one-on-one as she has a younger sibling, but nothing is working. She'll eventually apologise, but then she repeats the behaviour a few days later. I'm a loving, caring mother, but I'm at an absolute breaking point and I'm feeling like I'm failing. So, all right, Catherine, I feel like there's a lot in that. Um, And what I know that your area is more around sort of, you know, the anxiety piece and managing, you know, the way in which children are feeling on the daily based on the different experiences that they're having. So I wondered, first and foremost, can you explain to us a little bit more about what anxiety actually is and what are some of the signs that we might see in our children if they are faced by anxiety? Yeah. So, I mean, anxiety is a common emotion. Um, We all feel anxious from time to time. But when we talk about child anxiety or talk about more extremes, you know, anxiety disorders, we're talking about fears and worries that are excessive, that are interfering with daily life, that are persistent and pervasive. Um, And so it's those worries that are irrational, persistent, causing distress to your child and preventing them from doing the regular things that other kids their age would usually be able to do. Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess, you know, triggered from events in their lives. So for example, with this particular caller, um, you know, she's unfortunately going through a separation and obviously that, you know, that's a big impact on children and having to go between two different homes and things like that. Um, Question, can anxiety essentially be triggered by situations you know like this for example 
or are we kind of born with an underlying thread of anxiety? Like how does it work? <laughs> I'm not going to give you a checker box <laughs> because it's, a, it's intertwined. I yeah. think, um, look, we're all born with a temperament, aren't we? And so some kids are going to be innately more resilient than others. And you might hear sometimes they talk about, is your child a dandelion or an orchid? You know, will your child just thrive anywhere, pop them in pretty much any situation and they're good to go? Or does your child need, you know, do they need the right soil? Do they need the right amount? Like, do you need to put in all those extra scaffolding, the extra scaffolding for them to really thrive. Both kids are going to thrive. Yeah. Now, most kids, you know, they say it's an 80-20 split. 20% of kids just need additional scaffolding, a bit more help um, because they're more sensitive and they just need um, that extra preparation and extra care because otherwise they do get distressed and that might show in different ways. I would say that pretty much all kids benefit from a bit of preparation and benefit from nurture and benefit from, you know, all those things that that kids need every day, love, support, communication, trust, understanding. But some kids need more of it. So there is a little bit of temperament, how you're born. There is some evidence that anxiety and depression have a genetic component based on some of the twin studies of identical and non-identical twins and anxiety and depression go a little bit more in the identical twins. Um, Maybe we can talk about that later. I do think that pinning things on genetics is a double-edged sword because it's very quick in our society, and this is a whole other topic, Leonie, but to say, oh, the kid's not anxious, they've just got an anxious mum. And so I'm, you know, even if it's there is a genetic component, you've always got to think, well, how does that help you? And how is it going to help your child? And how is it going to change your management? And if it's not going to help any of those things, I don't love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's what situations is your child up against? We've just been through COVID. An eight-year-old might have just started a new school year and be with different peers, mm-hmm. and they've gone through a, a separation of their parents. So there's like three big whammies potentially and who knows what else is going on for that individual child. So, yes, anxiety can absolutely be triggered by specific life traumas. So, okay, so I experience anxiety pretty much on the daily and it flares up depending on what's going on in my world. One of my greatest fears is as much as I try to hide that from my children, uh, in my most anxious states, I'm worried that they might be kind of catching on to that behavior. Yeah. How, if children are being exposed to an anxious person in their household, i.e., me sometimes, right? How detrimental is it to those children? Probably make you more anxious. <laughs> be kind. I mean, kids model some of the behaviors they see, don't they? So, um, I can't answer that question, Leonie. I think you you know. I think if you're, I think what's scary to children is unpredictability. So I think if your anxiety, and I'm not saying it does, Leonie, but for example, when we're anxious, we're more prone to emotional outbursts. We're triggered more, I hate the word triggered, but we're more easily quick to get cross when something's not going right or small irritations become bigger. Mm -hmm. And if, and if a parent is, you never want your child to feel that they have to tiptoe around their parent because they don't feel safe. Mm. 
So I guess when you say how does it manifest, whereas on the flip side, if you say, you know what, I'm just feeling really anxious today, it's Mm. because of A, B, C, and D, and you normalize it. And so because of that, I'm probably not going to do as much today as I might otherwise do, but we're still going to do A, B, C, and D today. And you normalize it as one of the feelings. Like some days mummy feels really happy, some days... And we all feel different things throughout the hour, let alone throughout the day. Yeah. Um, so I think being able to talk about our emotions and normalising them, mm. and I think really the most important thing for our kids is that they're allowed to feel all of the emotions and they don't have to hide any of them because of concern that the parent might be distressed by it or cross with it or not accepting of it. I mean, we we talk about kids needing to be their authentic selves and not having to choose between being their authentic self, whether that's angry or enraged or nervous mm-hmm. um, versus having the love that they need. So they don't, they shouldn't have to hide it. And so I guess the flip side is how you model that for them, that you're okay and you're a loved member of your family, whether you're feeling anxious or happy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because there's no point sugarcoating. I mean, no one's happy every minute of the day. And I, I hear a lot. And even in the schools, I'm noticing with my eldest, you sort of, they help them articulate their emotions. And often they're like, well, yeah. you're feeling frustrated right now. Are you feeling frustrated? Yeah. No. Yeah, I am frustrated. And I think that's fantastic because growing up, you yeah, know, yeah. Hey, we didn't articulate how we were feeling and it was just suck it up and keep going, you know, <laughs> you know, don't be such a wolf and don't be, you know, yeah. on and <laughs> You know, sink or swim, you'll yeah. be right. Stop worrying about it. Yeah. There's so, such common phrases and they're so unhelpful yeah. because they do the opposite of validating how your child might be feeling and they really suppress an understanding of emotions. Mm. I mean, our kids are pretty good at happy versus sad, mm. but throwing a wild card, card like frustration or envy, or jealousy, which comes up when one kid has a birthday and gets the presents and the other doesn't. I mean, they're all common, understandable feelings. Such power if we can help our child to articulate it rather than live it out and lash it out. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so... We're going to make a few assumptions here because, yes, we've got this confession, but we don't know everything that's going on in this person's world. Um, Firstly, to the person who called in, I totally hear you. I have a four-year-old who does not listen to me either, and I'm getting more and more grey hairs by the minute. So, (laughs) hey, you are preaching to the choir. Now, as far as what we need from you, (laughs) explain to me. So let's assume that this mother is a bit like me and a little bit, you know, obviously this mother has a lot going on, right? You know, her relationship has fallen apart. Only imagine that on top of the daily grind of, you know, just keeping the household in check. So there's a lot going on there. And maybe she's like me, which is a little bit more type A and structured and things like that. And on the flip side, we've got the, you know, the partner who has no rules as according to the confession, not really lets the kid do what they want. It's like chill. Like that's kind of the opposite to me. Um, so, you know, and then the kid is responding apparently well to that parent, but not responding as well to the parent with the boundaries and the structure and all of that. Is there something to be said about the way in which we parent our children and perhaps their reaction to that? I guess so. I guess the thing that I immediately think of is, are you your child's safe space? You know how you hear about um, restraint collapse after school, which is a fancy way of saying your child's an angel in school and come ho- comes home and is a nightmare because yeah. they've been holding it together and holding it together. And so I guess it goes back to 
does your child feel able, does that eight-year-old feel able to express all her emotions when she's with her dad Mm. or does she know that her dad won't cope with it and so she brings it all home to mum? You'd have to ask that. And if so, great job, mum, because your daughter can be herself with you. I mean, it feels shit, sounds horrible, Mm. Um, but it's, it's honest and it's open and so the first thing is, is your... I think even stepping back, Mm. and I'm not a separations expert, but at the end of the day, we all want what's best for our kids. Mm. And so I guess the first thing I think of in a separation is, are mum and dad able to talk? Are they able to talk out of earshot of their child? Mm. Are they able to come up with strategies and an agreed approach on how best to help their child, no matter what else has gone on between them and their past baggage, Mm. and see if they can agree on what they think would be best for this eight-year-old girl. Mm. Um, And once you start with how can we both help our child, I think you're going to be on the same page a bit more, hopefully, Mm. Um, and then from there come up with strategies. But I think, look, whether you've got a two-year-old or a three-year-old, as you do, um, or a slightly older child, and I don't, my kids aren't eight yet, Mm. um, it's never in my opinion, it's never about that second. It's never about what do you do with that behaviour in the moment. It's what have all the things happened to lead up to that behaviour mm. and how moving forward, I mean, it's in the moment you've just got to survive it mm. usually. I don't think much, I don't think there can be sensible, productive conversations in the setting of meltdowns. Yeah. But I do think there's a lot of, lot to be gained from thinking, well, what were the what were all the factors leading up to that point? Mm-hmm. And what can we modify and change to make life a little bit easier for this girl who's just been through so much? Mm, okay. So let's explore that a bit further. So we're in a predicament like this caller. There's been a lot of change in this child's life. Everyone's feeling a little unsettled by the change, including the child. Um, So I would jump in and say, where can you provide for this girl some predictability and some structure? Yeah. And let's see where we can map that out for her in her week. Mm. And have we asked her, you know, what autonomy does this eight-year-old have as well? What does she want? Mm. Are her choices being... validated even if they can't be accommodated Mm. and where possible can we do what she wants you know if it's hard for her to do certain things with dad or certain things with mum can there be a bit of flexibility in the arrangement Mm. and can it be crystal clear to this girl um what her week is going to look like when's she with dad when's she with mum who's taking her to this or that what does her week look like and not throw in these wild cards oh by the way dad's taking you to a birthday party and then I'm picking you up to go to grandma like don't do little switcheroos at the last minute. As much as possible, map it out mm. because predictability and routine really does reduce anxiety mm. um, and it helps kids feel more in control. Yeah, it makes. I mean, it helps us, right, even as adults. Yeah. Kind of having yeah. some idea. We've got a calendar, don't we? Or Absolutely. a diary. Yeah. yeah. Do you think there are other things in our environment that are... <sighs> Making anxiety more prevalent within the current, you know, generation of children today? Because um, I hear that the stats are quite high. Is that correct? So, the, stats, so the, the, the best stats, in my opinion, is Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. Yeah. And anxiety is the greatest health burden for girls aged 5 to 14, the greatest health burden. And it's the second biggest in boys aged 5 to 14 behind asthma. So we know, and that stat is from before COVID. That's a 2019 stat. So what we're hearing from educators 
Um, and this is not my research area, Leone. Yeah. I'm interested in like practical solutions for mum yeah. and dad. But, but what we're hearing from educators is that yeah. anxiety rates in kids starting preschool and school are really high. Mm. Kids have been home with their parents. They haven't had the socialisation. They've had the worry and distress of parents who, you know, have had all sorts of challenges through COVID. More separations, we know, during COVID as well. Yeah. I mean, there's some... I think it was a bit of a split during COVID and you might have found the same thing. For yeah. kids who had a really strong attachment to their parents who could stay home with mum and dad all day, mm. it was heavy. COVID was the best. They got their parents undivided attention pretty much and they got to hang out at home and play and it was awesome. And yeah. then there's another group of kids for whom the home environment was more fraught, was mm. more wobbly and for whom it was a much harder time, and especially the older kids and maybe kids coming up to being eight now who were in those early friendship, um, that stage of early friendships, with, yeah. you know, in grade one, and they missed out on that. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a huge challenge for our kids. And I think as a society we're going to think about how, we have to, how we're going to overcome it and how we're going to help and support all those kids. Absolutely. Do you think these days as well there are higher expectation on our children in general, I know that's such a big question and it's subjective. It is based on your opinion. Um, no, I feel, well, I feel like there's you... less time to play. Do you mean that? Uh, like that your yeah. kids should be doing piano and they should be doing yeah. sport and they yes. should be doing everything. Yes, and the social media comparison is huge for parents. Oh, so-and-so did this with their kid. Oh, better get our kid into the, oh, did, did that get the race? Or the, you know, back in the day, you couldn't compare unless you are at the playground and you were having a chat. Now you just look at the social media and you're like, Jesus. Do not do it. Do not do it. Do you think that this is having an impact on our children and their anxiety levels or what do you reckon? I think it's having an impact on their parents because I think if you have, unrealistic expectations of your children you're going to have an unhappy home yeah I really do I think the way that we talk to our kids is so important and I think we can if we have unrealistic expectations then we're going to lose track in how we talk to them Mm. whereas if you see I see I guess because I've had an anxious child Mm. and I um uh, found, you know, the drop-offs were difficult. When I've had uh, any time that we have a win, mm. it's a cause of celebration. So I'm someone who now looks at all the small wins and um, appreciates them. Mm. Um, and that has been quite helpful for mm. my mental health, I guess, yeah. because if I look at all the things that my kid can't do, being a type A like you, Leone, I would have a heart attack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's uh, such a good point, isn't it? Just kind of focusing on... The important stuff and just the little milestones yeah. that we that happen, you know, every other day and, and being happy and grateful for that. I mean, fundamentally, if you've got a healthy child, you know, that should be enough, right? You know, and sometimes we need to... Look, I think know. the honest thing is whenever your child has a challenge, whatever it is, whenever there's a wobble or a hiccup, it's really hard and it takes a toll on the whole family. Yeah. Um, and that's just honest. And I don't think you have to be grateful that, well, at least they've got two legs and two arms and they're not blind. Yeah. I think it's really... For me, um, I think you can be honest and say, you know what, this is really challenging right now. Mm. Um, but it's what you can do about it. And when there's nothing you can do, that's really hard. But most of the time there is stuff we can do. And I guess going back to what are our expectations of kids, mm. are we giving them the opportunity to meet those expectations? For example, are we giving them time just to play, just to practice being alone, 
work on something by themselves, whether they're sitting down with Lego and you go up and encourage, I've got a boy, obviously, boys, um, and you encourage them a bit with that. But whatever it is, Mm. as they master a new skill, if you're there to quietly support them, you don't need to like, what is it? You don't need to give them a gold star for breathing. You don't have to be their cheer squad constantly. But giving the support to persevere and learn those kinds of basic skills, which, you know, can be taught from two, three, four, Mm. because all of those little wins, that's what builds your child's resilience. Mm. So we want our kids to be courageous. We want them to, you know, feel anxious but go and have a go anyway. But they're only going to be able to do that if they've had lots of small wins which are acknowledged and praised along the way. And that small win might be you were nervous about starting childcare or for this girl, you were nervous about, you know, the play date with so-and-so. I think it's called hanging out when you're eight, not a play date, sorry. So you were a bit nervous about hanging out with whoever, but you did it and you had a great time and I'm so proud. And, you know, and then the child can be proud of themselves that they tackled something. And that's all in the memory banks of times that they've been successful. And every successful experience then builds that inner resilience so that they can tackle the next potentially stressful experience, knowing that they've done it before and giving them hopefulness that they can do it again. Mm, Absolutely. Talk to me a bit about as a parent, as if we're experiencing tough times, let's say, you know, you've experienced anxiety within your household. How do we look after ourselves? Because I mean, I feel like if I would rather take the pain or I would rather have it happen to me than to happen to my child. So yeah. What things, for example, this caller, what can she put in practice to protect herself from from this situation as well? Yeah, that's such a good question. I guess it depends on what what brings you comfort, what fills your tank, how you feel better. And that's also what do your circumstances allow? I mean, sometimes it might be a phone call with a mate. Sometimes yeah. you might be able to go out to a walk. Most of us don't have the means, you know, time-wise, financial-wise, to go and spend a day at a day spa. I just think we've we've always got to be realistic. And when we talk about self-care, don't have that as another thing on your to-do list that you feel bad about. Um, So it's it's tapping into your supports, um, which is usually going to be friends, people Mm -hmm. who get you, people who know your child, people who know what you're going through, who aren't going to say, suck it up, you'll be right, (laughs) but are going to really listen and then either understand or absorb it and maybe have good advice, maybe not, maybe just you need to be heard. Yeah, I love that. And I think as well, even tapping into resources, you know, I started this podcast because I was going through um, postnatal depression at the time and I was like, I want to hear about other people's challenges yeah. and stories, yeah. you know, what's happening behind, you know, behind the curtains. And so, yeah. you know, I yeah, love that. That's it. so true. I love a good yeah. podcast. I love yeah. your podcast. There are so um, many... Um, yeah. There are so many affirming podcasts. For yeah. I think that's the beauty of podcasts. You know, yeah. you can find almost anything for your niche, not niche, but your stage of life and your yeah. current, um, you know, whatever is bringing you joy or finding yeah. really challenging. And you can hear, you know, I've heard some of your guests. You get really smart people on. Yeah. And yeah. Then yeah. Thank and you. you I, find, I, I am. <laughs> Proud of our our um, your guest role. Now that. you're one of them too. <laughs> <laughs> there are there are some really great podcasts. I don't know any specifically for separations, but I'm sure that there are out there. 
Absolutely. And there can be so, it's so funny that like for me, I walk um, when I can, I walk at night and it's dark mm. and the streets are deserted and I've got a, and I might be giggling as I walk down the yeah. street by myself and it, you just feel connected. I think we all just want to feel connected with the world. Um, and a podcast is such an in for that, isn't it? Oh, hundred percent. No, love it. So the, to this person who's called in, you know, hopefully we've given you, I, what I love about what you just said, Catherine, um, earlier on was the fact that yes, the child might be playing up a little bit more with you, but is that because they feel comfortable to give you all of their emotions and their authentic self? And I think that's amazing. And I really want to internalize that when I think about my little ones as well and how they are with me versus other people in school. Like I never thought about it that way. So hopefully for this caller, like, you know, thinking about it with that lens can be supportive. Um, And we've spoken about some practices that might support her as well. Any final words, uh, Catherine, on this one? I think, I think, um, the other thing is when you have a child who behaves one way with you and other ways with other people, mm-hmm. it's quite um, easy to feel like you're doing something wrong or feel blamed by others. And particularly if it hasn't been a, if it's been a bit of a messy, unpleasant separation, mm-hmm. then there's always the risk the partner turns around and says something like, well, it must be something you're doing because she's an angel with me. Mm-hmm. And I guess you've just got to back yourself and say, no, um, I think it's because she feels safe. This is all the things she's gone through. How can we work together to make her life a bit better? And, and you know, and ask those tough questions. How do you cope when she expresses how she feels? Are you accepting all her emotions? Is she really feeling, I mean, for that child or for any child, feeling a connection with both parents is going to be a core part of recovering from this stressful situation and a core part of their healing. So, yes, it's a tough time, but we'd like to... Um, segment it as a tough time in this child's life and not as a source of ongoing anxiety and trauma that she carries with her into into her teenage and adult years. Mm -hmm. So I think um, helping her to express her emotions, working through it, discuss, you know, a lot of kids feel blame as well when their parents separate, just checking that she's not carrying extra baggage that you don't even realise that she's carrying Mm -hmm. might all be helpful. And then if you unpack all of those deep emotional internal stresses, then maybe the behaviour at home is going to change. But I think the behaviour comes second. I think it's what's happening inside that that you've got to tackle first. Yeah, love that. Very well said. Uh, I want to know a little bit more about your app and how you are supporting other children. So did your app come about because you had experienced anxiety with your child? Or how, how, yeah. how did it come about? No, totally. Leonie, I just hate doing homework. And uh, and I feel like other people um, both hate doing homework and don't have the time for it. And so that's part that's part one. And part two is, even though I'm a doctor and I'm health literate, when my kid had separation anxiety when he was, uh, I think we first did some drop-offs age three, um, I didn't know what to do. And when I went and, you know, type A, um, prevention over, you know, prevention, early prevention and early intervention and prevention over cure and all of that. That's me. So I looked up, you know, what do, who tackles this? So the people in our community who help kids with anxiety is a GP, maybe a paediatrician if you can get in, 
Um, and then you might get sent to either a child psychologist or an occupational therapist. I've never even heard of those. Um, speech pathologists. And they all tackle the same kinds of issues and they all tackle it in the same kinds of ways, um, which is through explaining to kids what's going to happen. Um, and they do that through um, showing what's going to happen, like a little um, routine for the day in picture form. That's called a visual plan. Or they might make stories, which are called either social stories or social scripts to show and tell what's going to happen. I don't think most mainstream parents have ever heard of visual plans or social stories. Mm. I had not. Mm. And so one of the shocks for me was that I thought I would take my child once a week to an appointment mm. and I would learn some skills and they would do some stuff and then my problems would be over. Mm. Um, but no, they give you homework and then you, the parent, has to make the social story and the visual plan or you can hang out and spend your session for 200 bucks having someone make one story for your kid. Like, oh, it was a bit mind-blowing. And so I asked, so when you tell parents like me to go home and make a visual plan or a social story, how many of us do it? Like, I'm type A, I'll do my homework, but I've only got two kids. Some people have four or five kids. I work part-time. I'm very lucky. What if I were working full-time? Like, how do people do it? And so the therapists were like, oh, no, they don't do their homework, but you just encourage them, which means that you're that the children are missing out on what would help them and the parents are feeling bad and guilty that they're not able to provide that support and maybe the time, you know, it's so hard to get into these specialists, maybe their time could be better spent with the interaction and all the other clever things that they do. So I had this whole library of stories to prepare my kids for new events. I had five stories for starting preschool, five stories for starting school, you know, something about going to a birthday party where it's bustly and noisy and you might not get the cake you want. We went to the dentist for the first time because my kid fell over and his tooth was wobbly. Oh, dramas. So there are all these great reasons to have a social story because um, kids are having, between the ages of two and six, I mean, there's so many milestones, so many things that they do for the first time. Um, And creating stories is a bit of an art and craft project if you're not And if you're busy, it's just not great. So I would make stories, I'd write them out, I'd illustrate them, and then they'd have a shelf life of maybe five five reads. But then all my friends wanted them for their kids and it just took a long time to keep making these stories and visual plans in Microsoft Word. Mm. So I thought if I put it in an app, this is a very long-winded answer, I've just realised, sorry. Um, If you put it in an app, then anyone can make these stories and tailor it completely to your child. So the app form just means that you can... Choose a character for your child, for yourself, for your partner, for the child's teachers, for the dentist, for the birthday person. You know, you you can choose the the characters. The words are there, but you can change them to completely um, tailor to your child. And then you can, so the illustrations will be personalised, the words will be personalised, and then you can take out an illustration and put in a photograph so that your child can see exactly what it will look like when they go to their school or their kinder or their dentist. Um, Because... Preparation is power. And if we could do this for our kids all the time, we would. But first of all, most of us don't know about it. And second of all, we don't have time to do it from scratch. That is amazing. So how does it work? Is there sort of a free subscription and then the paid subscription? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, Leonie, I'm now completely out of my depth. (laughs) So this was all a bit trial and error. 
basically I just want as many people to have access to it as possible. So it's free to download. You get three free stories. There are 20 stories in there and you can make your own. Um, But there are three free and there's a free visual plan that you can make and there's a game. The the other thing, just really quickly, is one of my um, shocks when we're talking about our expectations of our kids. If you've been in a shop or in a change room and someone snaps at their kid for doing the wrong thing and you just think to yourself, did you ever tell your child what the right thing was? So I have this series of games called Silly or Sensible in different scenarios to explain to your child with a bit of humour before you enter whatever situation what you expect of them. So I've got silly or sensible at the cafe because it's basically all the things that my kids used to like to do at the cafe. Is it silly or sensible to like pull apart the little table decorations? Is it silly or sensible to eat the sugar or eat the whatever's fallen on the floor? Is it silly or sensible to say thank you um, when you get a baby Chino? Um, So middle class. Um, Anyway, (laughs) a bit embarrassing. But anyway, it means that when I'm in those situations with my kids, I can either redirect them if they go off topic and I'll go, oh, is that silly or sensible? And they'll go, oh. Or I can praise them for having done the right thing and say, that was awesome. I noticed how you did whatever. And I think with our kids, to build resilience, we just need to pump the positives mm-hmm. and we need to praise them when they're doing the right thing and not just pay them attention when they're doing the wrong thing, which is so easy to say and so hard to do when you're juggling a million things. Um, but I guess the reason that I made the app is I just realised how many parents were grew up with you'll be right mm. and I wanted to give them the exact words in these stories mm. so that they can start to understand how you can talk to your child to give airtime to any worries that they may face mm. and then to move beyond those worries and talk about how you're going to get through. Oh my gosh, I love that. I'm definitely checking it out. That's amazing. And kudos to you, honestly, um, you know, for not only supporting your own children, but for putting yourself out there and supporting many, many others. So um, yeah, congratulations again on the app. It's absolutely fantastic. I will pop the details in the show notes for where um, people can go to find you, but where is the best place? I know there's a few, ch- you've got a few channels. Yeah, look, you can download Courageous Kids from Google Google Play or the app stores. It's free. Um, I've got a website. I do my best on Instagram. It's very embarrassing, um, but I do try and give my tips there. And it's all just at Courageous Kids app. On the app stores, it's just called Courageous Kids. Um, And I just think, you know, parents do a lot for their kids, don't they? Like you would never have started this podcast if it hadn't been for your parenting journey. I would never have made an app if I hadn't been through this with my kids. And I think it's just the common... We just want to make things better for the next generation and the next people coming through. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for your time, Catherine. Thanks, Leonie. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and share it with your friends. Want to contribute to the conversation? Hit us up on Instagram at Parenthood Pod and join our Facebook group. Until next time. Thanks for listening. The Parenthood Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we produce on, the land of the Wurundjeri people. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging.